0: Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. So I want to talk about discipleship. Uh, so anyone I'm talking about to-, to lately about church and God, I'm just talking about discipleship because it's a very big theme and uh, starting from last year I really felt it was a a call to this church and then we went through the whole pandemic and the how to do church through through turmoil and the state of this world and even you know the, the criticism against the church even in New Zealand and um, so pretty much every pastor I'm talking to now our main topic is discipleship how do we truly disciple? People, not just build great churches, but truly how to how to build people, how to how to make disciples. So, I know I shared a message about this last year, but this is growing in my heart, and I do absolutely believe it's a word in season for the next chapter of renewed church. And I've called it discipleship redux. And everyone's thinking, "What on earth does that mean?" It's a Latin word, and it means to bring back or to revive. And I just love that because what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks probably is bringing back discipleship, looking at it afresh, reviving it, renewing it, seeing what it actually means to go and make disciples. Last year, I shared a message, Go and Make. It was all about going and making disciples. And at the end of that, I realised that I don't know if I even actually, you know okay, we need to go and make disciples. How do we actually do that? In a powerful, um, realistic, authentic way that actually sees fruit um, and I realised maybe I hadn't spent too much time on, on how to do that practically. So this is sort of carrying on from that. Um, I'm going to be doing two messages. I think Mitch may be um, continuing on the series. We're not sure how long it's going to go for, but definitely it is absolutely a word in season for this church. So let's just have a look at where it all starts from. Matthew 28, verse 18. Just want to welcome everyone on live stream as well. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. I pray God's blessing upon you. Um, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told His disciples. So this is the last conversation Jesus has with His closest friends, His disciples, before He ascends um, into heaven. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So Jesus gives us the blueprint for successful and powerful and effective mission and ministry. He, he lets us know how to do it, and it's very concise and it's very simple. And it's like this is how you do it. He doesn't make it hard. And yet, if if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, you know, how come we aren't seeing the church multiplying like we do see it? in the book of Acts, what well, where is the disconnect and why is the disconnect we know that Jesus isn't lying he's not saying well this is how you do it but i know it's not going to work so you're just laughing at us we know that he's not making it complex and too difficult so it's not in the problem doesn't lie with Jesus and it does absolutely not lie with the great commission so where does the disconnect lie with me with you maybe so we're going to look at this and we're just gonna unpack the Great Commission and first, and then I'm just gonna to present to you maybe I why I believe it's not working so great in the West at the moment, generally speaking. So, verse 18 Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. And I would like to ask us this morning, has Jesus got all authority in, in my heart? Has Jesus got all authority in your life? Because He gives us a free will and He's not going to overstep free will. And when we we serve and we worship the Savior of the universe who has all authority, but have we actually willingly given Him all authority in our lives? So where it all starts, complete surrender. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The original is all people Groups, so go and make it. And we're very good in the West at compartmentalizing our faith, so okay, go. So, um, I don't have to make disciples at home, I don't have to make disciples, um, you know, while I'm doing other stuff. But when I go to church, that's when we have to go and make disciples. Or when I go to my connect group, that's where discipleship happens. Or when I go over to that short term mission trip, then I'm actually going. In making uh, disciples, when you have a look at the original text, it, it is more accurate to say, as you go. As you go, make disciples. So then we understand that discipleship is not something that starts and stops. It's something that should be a huge part of our life, every day of our life. The Great Commission was meant to be weaved into everything we do. I love Eugene Peterson's quote, Christian discipleship is a decision to walk in his ways steadily and firmly and then finding that the way integrates all our interests, passions and gifts, our human needs and eternal aspirations. It is the way of life we were created for. Weaving the gospel into everything. You know, back in the the 80s and maybe early 90s, I loved Christian heavy metal. I really did. And um I know it's a, real, it's a real sub-genre of music, and it just sounds really out off the wall nowadays. But you know, every band that I listened to, you knew that they were Christians, and every song was a discipleship song. They were teaching us about how to follow Jesus. You fast forward now into the 2020s, and, and you know, you can listen to a, a band and for like a couple of years and then realise a couple of years later, are, they, are these guys a Christian band? Oh, I never knew that. <laughs> so times have changed. I do believe in the last 40 years, we've, we, we've started to think, okay, discipleship is something we stop and start and I don't have to be a disciple in this area of my life and I don't have to be a disciple in this area of life, but maybe in the connect group, that's when I become a disciple. We oversee a Christian school and it's really quite disheartening the amount of Christian kids now that have got huge issues. And, and I'm wondering why Christian kids have got massive issues when their parents should be discipling their kids. That's where discipleship starts for all of us parents, myself and Christy included, it starts in the home. I think we've dropped the ball, generally speaking, and we leave discipleship up to our Christian schools and to Eddie the youth pastor. We don't wanna burn them out. Uh, obviously they, they help, but it comes back to understanding discipleship is a part of everything we do. People are not taking role modelling and mentoring seriously. I remember when I was a kid, like 14, 15, there was one of my cousins and he would meet with me and with a couple of other guys and he would just talk about the Bible and he was doing effective uh, discipleship. Now he didn't really, I mean, he didn't know a whole lot. Um, He was only a little bit older than me, but he took it upon himself to think, I'm a role model, I'm a mentor, I can actually be a part of the disciple making process. And nowadays we just really don't take any responsibility to do that anymore. No, we don't sort of think about what we post on social media or how effective and powerful um, and influential our words are. It's as you go, make disciples. I'm probably gonna be a little bit fiery this morning. Um, just, just love me, because you've got to. <laughs> Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the outward public sign of complete surrender. To Jesus and new life in Him. You know, water baptism in many countries, it means that you're probably, if you get water baptized, you're going to be disowned or excommunicated from your family and, and, and your, your extended family group. In some places, you are at risk of, you know, your life is at risk if you become water baptized. Why? Because you are celebrating and declaring to the world that you are worshiping one person from now on, and that's Jesus. That your old life is gone and you are completely surrendering to Him. And, Again, sometimes I get a little bit sad that we don't see more water baptisms happening and maybe that's because we don't talk about the cost so much and, and maybe people don't want to surrender all to Jesus. Remember I said a couple of weeks ago, repentance is turning away from things that you know are destructive in your life and other people's lives and you turn towards Jesus. You've, to turn towards Jesus, you've got to turn away from something else. Verse 20, teach these new disciples... To obey all the commands I have given you. Being a student of the Bible is a must for disciples. Being active and and really teaching others the the truths of, of the Bible that have stayed true and relevant for a couple of thousand years. You know, the Bible has always been pro life. So why is it in just my generation now, there are so many Christians that are, that are really upset with the decision that was made in America a couple of days ago. Something's, something's wrong. And maybe we've dropped the ball with discipleship. It goes real quiet now, eh? It's like, ooh. Just to say our church is totally pro-life. You know, we protect the, the life of, of, of people in, 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 the, in the womb and in, until they die. So we have this incredible, uh, great commission, and I've unpacked it a little bit, and it's so awesome. So Jesus made it easy. He told us how to do it. So why, why isn't it working so well in the last 20 years, generally? And I'm, I'm saying generally, I'm not wanting to be judgmental, but just generally speaking, because there are a lot of churches that are doing this really, really well. Well, it can't be persecution because the church has been persecuted for the last couple of thousand years. It can't be opposition because we always have opposition. It can't be tribulation because, you know, we, we, there's tribulation in every generation. And maybe the love of most is growing cold, and that is a sign of, of an end time. So maybe we are living in the end times. And you know, it pretty much looks like that. But again, every generation believes they are living in the end times. So, so why isn't working it working so well? And I've thought long and prayed hard about this. I do think, and you're, you're welcome to disagree with me as always, but I do think there are, there are three reasons why. Number one, we have not understood biblical discipleship. Number two, we have not prioritized discipleship in our churches. And number three, we have not taken individual responsibility for discipleship. We have not understood biblical discipleship. Number two, we have not prioritized discipleship in our churches. Number three, we have not taken individual responsibility for discipleship. So I'm just gonna look at those three points and then we'll finish off with some qualities of biblical disciples and we'll see what God wants to do. So number one, making it positive now, it's like the question or the problem, we have not understood, let's make that positive. So let's understand what a disciple and what a, what biblical discipleship is. So in the Bible and the New Testament when we see disciple the Greek is mathētēs and it really truly means a devoted follower, one who actively embraces and assists in spreading the teachings of another. A devoted follower, one who actively embraces and assists in spreading the teachings of another. So Jesus was a rabbi and when rabbis saw someone that they really wanted to be their disciple, they saw a lot of hope and a lot of future um, and, and potential in them. They would go and say, you know, follow me and, and become one of my disciples. And that was such an honour that, that these people would, would leave everything, their old lifestyle behind. And they knew from that point on, their identity was in spring the teachings of their rabbi, following him closely so that his dust, when he was walking, would come upon them and that they would assist in the spreadings of their teaching. So to be a disciple now, it actually means living so close with Jesus and having a pretty radical life change and everything that we do, our life, how how we do life, we are to now assist in spreading the teachings of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So that's what a biblical discipleship is but in the west again generally speaking somehow maybe we've diluted a disciple to be someone who attends church most sundays or maybe a few sundays a month someone who comes to a connect group if it suits them and and someone who if, if you know they're really holy and spiritual signs up and and serves on a connect group and sorry a, a service team so you can do that and and really not be effective and wholehearted in being a disciple and I do think in the West, we, we, now we've, we've, there's a disconnect between the people that we think should be doing the discipleship, which is the pastors and the leaders and everyone else. Perhaps, uh, no, I'm not gonna be upset with them if they believe that coming along to church on a Sunday and just being encouraged is, is all there is about discipleship. There is so much more. This call to go and make disciples, it's for all of us. God gave all of us that command, not just the pastors, And the leaders, so we need to understand what a disciple is and what biblical discipleship is. So here's a real challenge for us. If I was to say to any one of you this morning, Christy wants to get saved. Christy wants to give her life to Jesus. Could you just spend some time with her and explain the gospel, and then lead her in a, in a prayer of salvation? How many of us would truly, really be ready right now and excited to lead someone to Christ, or would be thinking, "Oh no, I need, I need Simon. I, I don't know what to do"? If someone comes to you and says, "I'm, I'm struggling with an addiction. I, I really need some." Real powerful prayer. Can, can you please pray for me? How many of us would think, "Oh no, I should have prayed more this morning." How, how much of us can actually effectively do that? Pray for someone really powerfully and passionately for healing. Because you know what? If we've been a Christian more than a couple of weeks, we should. We really should. But then, then again, why haven't we? Again, uh, this whole thing about discipleship. I'm not pointing the the finger at any other church or any other pastor. I'm really. Truly pointing the finger at myself and pointing the finger at our church. It's a new, it's a new day, again, because I'm the pastor here. Um, but we gotta understand discipleship is so important in this topsy-turvy world where there's like pandemics and we don't know what the future holds and there are wars going on and there's so much confusion and hatred against other people. We gotta do discipleship well. We really do. So understand what a disciple, what biblical discipleship is. Number two, prioritize discipleship in our churches. So uh, for being a pastor the last 10 years, you know, you go to pastors conferences and, and usually somewhere there is an elective on how to grow, how to build your church. Uh, and usually the person speaking has got a church of about like twenty to 50,000 and they're just absolutely amazing. So you sit there and you're supposed to really be encouraged about, okay, now I can build a church. But to be really honest with you, I feel like resigning half the time after those electives, it's like, man, I'm just so useless. This isn't happening. What the heck am I a pastor for? And it's just like, I'll just give it to someone else. Uh, and the again, the emphasis A lot in in the New Zealand church, maybe we've been sold just one church growth model is we've got to put so much effort and and so much resources and so much volunteer power into making church awesome and attractive. And then we'll get people that will stay for more than just a couple of weeks. You know, we've, we've streamlined discipleship into a church growth model and a tactic. And I don't think it's working too well. Francis Chan says this, We reduce discipleship to a canned program, and so many in the church end up sidelined in a spectator mentality that delegates disciple-making to pastors and professionals, ministers, and missionaries. And so just the balance of this, when you invite someone over for dinner, you want your house to be clean, right? Right? Um, You actually want to talk to that person and make that person feel welcome. You want that person to have a real awesome experience that they feel like they're a part of your family. So there is an aspect of making our church so welcoming and being so friendly and doing things well. I think sometimes we can get overbalanced and throw everything out. Um, We we do want to make this place a place where people uh, really feel like they're loved and welcomed and experience the power of God. But flash programs and flash auditoriums will not make disciples. That's, that's the truth of the matter. And, um, there are church growth models. There's one that's called the funnel of assimilation. Sorry if this is going to bore you, but I'll just say it. it. Basically, and statistics show this, that in a church our size, we really need 10 visitors a Sunday because there's only a small amount of those visitors that will enjoy the service and will wanna come back and wanna get assimilated into church. So you work so hard, you put so much resources into making people feel happy. And the funnel is like this. So. Visitors coming down to like only a couple of people, and really you got to build your church at least by ten to fifteen percent because usually ten to fifteen percent of your church will leave and for work opportunities other places. So then you get into this turmoil of oh no, there's no visitors. We've got to put more pressure on people to invite more people and to do more things better so that we can keep a few people. We don't actually see that in the Bible. We don't see assimilation in the Bible. We see multiplication, which started with Jesus. He had the 12 disciples, then was it 70 or 72? Uh, And then 120 uh, in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came, and then we see that the church multiplying. So it's not necessarily about flash programming or advertising. Romans 1 says, "'I am not ashamed of the gospel, "'for it is the power of God for salvation.'" It's getting back to what I said a few weeks ago, word, deed, and power. Being authentic, so authentic and powerful in our faith that people know that something is is real and powerful in our lives and they wanna hear about who He is, who is Jesus. So prioritize discipleship in our churches. Tonight I'm gonna be speaking more about that. What is Renewed Church's discipleship plan? Really, how do we do that? What does that look like? So I'm excited about that. Are our programs designed to make disciples? Are our leaders passionate to make disciples? Maybe we need to have a look at some of the programs in Renew Church, and if it's actually not making disciples, helping people do this, why do we do it? Just to keep people happy and excited about about the program. Number three, take personal responsibility for discipleship. Individual, personal responsibility responsibility. The call to discipleship is the call to every believer. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, He wasn't talking to the pastors. He was talking to every single person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. That we need to be active and serious. This is our mission to actually go and make disciples disciples. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, which is different when you look at the language to building the church. Build up the church, it means the people, build up the people, the body of Christ. I forgot to mention before that, Like I was talking about you know, how how do we do church growth? It's such a big thing. It's all focused about building the church. It's It's like we've got to build the church. We've got to get bigger churches, more powerful churches. Bigger churches make bigger impact to the community so we need to have a bigger church. When it's really not our responsibility to build a church, Jesus actually said, I will build my church. He never gave us the commandment to build his church, which is so freeing if you're in leadership because the pressure's off now, in a way. So we're not called to build the church. We are called to go and make disciples. That's the command that Jesus made. And as we go and make disciples, He will look after the church. So I said the pressure's off. Actually, no, the pressure's still on in a different way. Building big people now, not building big churches. Ephesians 4.11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. I said that um, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church. It is your responsibility to build up the church. It is your responsibility to build people. Um, The Ephesians 4, 11 ministries, it is our responsibility to hopefully every Sunday and in, in different teams and different ministries to give you the tools and equip you in a very real way to actually go out and to change this world. Now I... You know, there's, there's a, a church model called the attractional model, and I, I agree with some of that. Uh, but mostly now it's the missional model where we actually get encouraged here to go outside and actually make disciples out there. So be invitational. Yeah, we want to make this place nice looking because, again, we, wanna, we want people to feel welcome and friendly. But a missional church is a church that's mobile, that actually takes responsibility, every single one of us, to go out and to make disciples. And um, it shouldn't be that, that, that huge a surprise or a, a challenge. You Go back, because I love World War II. You know, I love tanks. I love planes. I just love, Actually, no, I don't love World War II. Sorry. I love World War II history. So i got to actually say that because, no, I didn't like World War II. But the, the leadership principles and the hero, hero, heroism and, and sacrifice is really inspiring. And there's a, a movement in a lot of the, the countries that um, the Nazis invaded. There was, it was called the resistant movement. The resistance. So uh, these resistance fighters, they they went about their normal lives, um, and they they went and they they you know earned money for their livelihood. But that wasn't where their passion. Their passion was to overthrow the the Nazi regime. So they would. A lot of them gave their lives sacrificially. They would volunteer over and above because they they knew that their passion was to 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 topple the tyranny of the of Nazism. Now, there was a, a lovely lady that's passed away many years ago. She used to come to this church called Dolly Bucher. Can you remember her? You know, as a, I think a 12-year-old, she worked for the resistance. I can't remember what, what country it was, over in Europe somewhere. So she, uh, Holland, so she had this pram, and she used to push her, her dolls around in this pram right past the Nazis um, and, and unbeknownst to the soldiers, she had, like, documents. She was a courier for the resistance, um, couriering secret documents as a 12-year-old girl in Nazi-occupied place. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? It's like, oh, like, I'm, I don't know, I can't do that. I don't 12-year-old girl, come on. That's awesome. So, I think it's time to have a bit of a wake-up call You know, we we love encouraging people in business, but business isn't why we're here. Now We love encouraging people um, with with sports and with mental health, but that's not the reason we're here. We're here to go and make disciples. And may I speak and roast introverts for a second? I can't do this because I'm an introvert myself. (laughs) An introvert simply means you get tired out a little bit faster than extroverts when you're hanging out with people, so you need to spend time alone to recharge. I really do think Jesus was an introvert because he hung out with people a lot, but you see him always um, receding to, um, if that's the word, uh, to to people, um, uh, sorry, to, to his Father in heaven to spend a lot of time with him. So introversion was never, ever meant to be an excuse not to hang out with people. People are the only things that will live forever. We're called to go and make disciples of people. So qualities, you know, hopefully I'm going to have a church by the end of the series. It's like every Sunday, it's like less and less and less. Um, Qualities of biblical disciples. I'm just going to start this today, but... uh, because um, there are many places in the Bible that specifically mention a, a character quality about what a disciple is and, and how a disciple lives. And we can gain a lot of, lot of wisdom and knowledge from that. Um, if we really take it into our heart, it can change our lives. Luke 14, 25 to 27 is one. A large crowd was following Jesus. The Jesus wasn't into the crowds. He ministered to them. But he understood that gaining a crowd wasn't successful ministry. So there was a whole lot of crowds and maybe he got a little bit frustrated with them. um, So he wanted to actually tell them something truthful and something powerful. So he turns to the crowd and says in verse 26, If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Number one, passionately be committed to Jesus Christ. What's the quality of a biblical disciple? Passionately be committed to Jesus Christ. To actually be able to go and make disciples, we've got to be disciples ourselves first. So number one, passionately committed to Jesus Christ. God is calling you to come close and learn from him. One of the primary indicators is that you become a disciple, that you have become a disciple is when your passion shifts from worldly desires to Jesus and his desires. Number two, extraordinary love for people. John 13, 34 to 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Again, this is what Jesus says. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So this world doesn't have a clue about Jesus or a lot of it doesn't. We're living in a post-Christian world now, post-Christian New Zealand, absolutely. So a lot of people don't have any understanding of Jesus or or what Jesus teaches and what's right and what's wrong. They don't actually know what sin is. So how we can't sort of place um, expectations on people when they don't understand. So how do we do this? it's really quite clear. There must be such supernatural, uh, extraordinary love that we show for one another that people that aren't saved will look at our relationships with our brothers, Christian brothers and sisters, and think, man, there is something supernatural about that. And it says in the Bible that we will prove that God is real, that we will prove that to them that Jesus is real, that He's the way, the truth and the life by how we love one another. How are we doing loving God? One another. Now, I know when we had the pandemic and for whatever side of that that you sit on, the the vaccination or the the non-vaccination, some people weren't too good at showing Christian love for one another over that time. We could have done it better. So with people that don't, you you can still love someone with a supernatural love and you don't have to agree with them. We've got to learn that. So extraordinary love for people. Number three, governed by the authority of God's Word. This will be the final point maybe today. John 8, verses 31 to 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in Him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we've just got to remain faithful to the word of God and teach and and study and immerse ourselves into the word of God and there is a supernatural element that that happens in in our life when we get close to Jesus and we start following his teachings it's freedom true freedom comes into our lives I was talking about this at Oversight you know we can we can do a whole lot of Wayne was, I was just listening and gleaning from him. We can do a whole lot of programs and stuff and and tell people, but unless they actually are really willing to submit their lives to Jesus, no, a lot of these principles won't work. It's when we surrender our life to Jesus, then the supernatural power of Jesus comes into our lives and, and gives us freedom and gives us healing. It's just incredible. So in conclusion, and if I can have the whole band up, because to finish off, I'd just love us to sing that 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 incredible new song that we, we sung. We've still got a few minutes. Who's enjoying that my sermons are shorter these days? It's like from 45 minutes down to like just over 30 minutes? That's pretty awesome. So we have more time to really just love God and worship God and see what He wants to do. So in conclusion, what is the greatest gift people can give to the church today? What's the greatest gift we could give to a new church? And straight away, it's like, well, money would be awesome. Uh, and it sort of would. Um, but there's actually something far, far greater. And uh, Abraham Cooper says this, and I just think it's really profound. It's hugely challenging, but really profound. The greatest gift a church can receive is to have a group of families who take their responsibilities with such Christian seriousness that they are willing to completely alter their lifestyle to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like, ooh, the greatest gift a church can receive is to have a group of families who take their responsibilities with such Christian seriousness that they are willing to completely alter their lifestyle to raise up disciples. For Jesus Christ. I was talking to a pastor recently, and you know, so much, you know, almost in a medium to large church, you feel like a CEO a lot of the time. And he was saying, "Simon, I'm just, I'm just so tired of having to, to juggle so many, um, spin so many sources and, and juggle so many things." He goes, "You know what? I can pretty, I could pretty much like disciple about eight or seven home groups in my whole week. Um, I could do that if I was released to all of this." And I think a lot of a lot of pastors are thinking this now because we've spent so much time and resources into building great churches and great programs, and that is still needed, but we are called to build people and disciple people and say, yes, I'm gonna alter my lifestyle to do this, to be a part of the disciple-making process. And every single one of us can do that because what discipleship is, is just telling people of your experience and letting them know your, your journey and how God's come through for you and, and teaching what you know. God never expects that we teach something that we don't know. Or just something in a book that we've read that but we've all got this incredible living testimony that Jesus has done incredible things in our lives. and we can tell someone about that. Um, great friends of Christian mind that they, they've made this their ministry motto, First Thessalonians 2 verse 8, and I just love this. I'm going to adopt this. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. So it's one thing you just share uh, the gospel message to someone that you don't know or you don't care about. Maybe, or maybe you do care. You feel like you should care, but you just like tell them about Jesus and that's okay, I've done my bit. I'm making disciples. It's actually inviting people to journey this Christian life with you. And and so they can see the authentic Christian life, what it looks like at home and at work and at school, and how how the Christian faith has actually completely radically changed your heart and your life, and the fruit of that. So it means inviting people to do life with you, journeying life, you know, being in that place where you are. Iron sharpens iron with people so that you can speak and disciple people and they can actually disciple you. So much discipleship just happens when we are engaged in meaningful discussion. Now, I just love conversations I have with with my kids and with Christy when we're talking about a relevant subject and we're actually talking about some heavy things and, and that's discipleship. It's not just checking out and think, well, someone else can do it. It's all of us taking responsibility for the spheres of influence we have and just journey with people. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.